there's a human element. You have to be good at engineering, but you have to be really good at, you know, listening to people. And some of that is nonverbal or a lot of it's nonverbal. And then the other one is, you know, we're solving Rubik's cubes. You know, it's like you're playing with puzzles every day. And so, you know, I view the work as play. And so, you know, somebody comes and brings a problem and they're like, you know, we, we solved it this way, but, you know, can you just check it? And I just look at it and I get a smile on my face because I'm like, oh yeah, well, there's eight different ways to do this, but yeah, well, that's a good one. But have you thought of this one? And, and then they're like, oh, wow, wait, 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 we could win that job. And then they walk away and they go and they come back and they're like, hey, we won the job. Welcome to the Edge of Excellence podcast. This show is for current and aspiring leaders that are dedicated to showing up every day in their lives with excellence. We break down the careers of those excelling so you can understand what is out there and how to rise up in every field you choose. Let's get the show on the road, shall we? Your host has spent his life promoting global entrepreneurship, helping 20-somethings find their passion and working to help others achieve excellence. CEO of CollegeWorks, Matt Stewart. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for listening. And don't forget to spread this around to your friends. We are on a mission to help people figure out what career is right for them. And we've got engineering on the menu today. We've got Brett Gaviglio. He is going to talk about why people skills are important in engineering. What exactly are the ins and outs of mechanical engineering? And I know that sounds boring, but we're going to do the passion play to Porsche racing. Brett says, excellence lies in the question. We're going to get into that. Welcome to the show and welcome to the Edge of Excellence. Well, Brett Caviglio, thank you so much for pausing your trip out to Fontana to race your new race car, newly fixed, newly purchased. Headed out today, but making time for the Edge of Excellence. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks a bunch. Thanks for having me on. I'm so stoked to be here. Well, it's good to have you on. You know we like to have engineers come on and talk about the difference between just crunching numbers and really crushing it with people skills and communication skills and sales skills. So we're going to get into all that stuff that you do so you can help educate future engineers of the world who may... They may want to work at Vertical Systems, LLC, V-E-R-T-I-S-Y-S dot net. Vertisys.net is where you can find Brett. But Brett, before we dive into it, what is your definition of excellence? Ooh, that's a good one. My definition of excellence is really uh, just asking questions of the problem and looking at it in every different way. Why are we here? What are we doing? How are the different ways we can look at the thing? And, and solve it and iterate on that. And uh, typically, the first solution isn't really the best one. But the, the nice thing is there's no risk in taking the first solution. Uh, you, can, you can always improve. And, uh, and it doesn't matter whether that's art or writing or engineering. You, you, know, you want to get something down, and then you want to improve on, on it. Okay, so that's a very engineering way of answering it, but I bet that would apply for lawyers too. Excellence lies in the questions. Excellence lies in the assumptions. Excellence lies in the analysis. 
if you do proper analysis, you ask the right questions, you have the right assumptions, the end product will be excellent. You're talking about the feeding in is where your excellent where your definition lies, right? Yeah. And a lot of times you're you're gonna end up iterating four, five, six times. By the time you get, you know, six improvements, you know, six real redesigns in, you're uh and it doesn't matter what you're doing, whether you're working on a building or building, you know, any any little part, you're you're gonna you're gonna have an excellent result after you've after you spend a lot of time improving it. So if you're gonna focus on being a significant other, if you're gonna focus on being a dad, and I know you're an excellent dad, does the same definition of apply apply? Does it lie in the questions and the assumptions? It's all front loaded in the beginning. It's front loaded in that, you know, most likely the first the first thing that you think of is probably wrong. Well, Brett, let's get into what it took for you to become director of engineering, a mechanical engineering partner, a founder of a business. Um, let's go way back to, to Newport Harbor High School. When you're in high school at Newport Harbor, the lowest donating school in all of Orange County to SOS, when I used to work at Share Ourselves every Thursday, Newport Harbor families donated the least. We always had to supplement. And they're the wealthiest families, which is strange. Not to dig on Newport Harbor, which I just did. But when you were sitting there with all those really wealthy kids that don't share, um, did you know you wanted to be an engineer? Yes. Yeah, I, I knew I knew a long time before. Actually, when I was in middle school, I wrote a letter to Ford asking them, you know, questions about what job propositions would be available around when I thought I would graduate. And they actually wrote back to me. And they wrote back to me and sent a thing with all these design schools like Art Center and whatnot, thinking that I was going to do like art. And then uh, when I got the letter back, I looked at that and I went, that's not what I want. That's not what I meant. And then at that moment, as soon as I got the letter back with all these pretty pictures and sculptures, I realized, oh, I'm at the mechanical part. And I was like, I don't know, 13. Uh, okay, that's pretty cool. So uh, most of our audience is going to be past high school. But if we did have someone in high school listening right now, did you do something to figure out you wanted to be an engineer? Like Most people don't know what they want to be or they're figuring out the wrong thing. I wanted to be a lawyer. I'd be a horrible lawyer. You wanted to be an engineer. You're a great engineer. How did you figure that out? How did you test that assumption? How did you know you found your calling so early? Well, I didn't really. And I took a physics class in high school and I loved physics. And, you know, there, there's a, there's something that, that lines up with mechanical engineers. So when you take, you know, you go physics and you think it's fun. Hey, that might be for you. At that point, you know, you're, you know, you're special. <laughs> if you think that physics is just, the most the most fun you've ever had. Then you sit there and you go, ah, you know, maybe there's something to this. Uh, I I built gliders when I was a kid too, so I would you know custom make little planes that flew without motors and whatnot. Like I don't know, they were six foot wingspans or whatever. And so uh, I don't know when you when you think about aerodynamics, you think about fluids, you think about things like that. You you know you don't really know that you're doing engineering when you're kid you just you're just building stuff right and you know you don't know that why you like physics you just do and you know it's uh it's awesome to hone that out and then once you get to college it's like oh that feels good statics ah that was okay dynamics that was okay ooh fluid dynamics what's this oh it's like back to elementary school you know back to planes so you know if if you're 
dabbling, which you have to do in high school and the entry of college, you're looking in your words, see what feels like, quote, most fun ever. And if you're finding things that are the most horrible thing ever, you're probably not going to want to do that every day for the rest of your life. Most fun ever. And what you said was, might be right for you. So if we get back to your definition of excellence, were there some questions you were asking of the problem? How do I figure out what I want to do for the rest of my life? Uh, when you're that 13-year-old writing letters to Ford, or when you're in Newport Harbor High School, not donating, donating that much to share ourselves charity in Orange County, were there questions you were asking to figure out, is this might be right for me, or this is definitely right for me? Uh, actually, at that point in time, no, I was playing basketball and riding bikes and, uh, you know, thinking about taking girls out on dates, right? I mean, that was that was what I was thinking about. I don't think I was asking questions when I was in Newport Harbor about school or the future or anything like that. But, you know, by the time you get to college, yeah, you start buckling down and you start, you know, taking a lot of courses and figuring out what you like. And then all of a sudden, it's, it becomes really obvious. Okay, so not for a lot of people. There's people listening here. I mean, I talk to people... Every Friday is my day to um, coach people that work in my business on uh, their careers. And you know, I, I meet a lot of people that don't know. And we send them to go do a disc test. And we send them to do the wormholing and do research and just get lost in research. And we try to have them spend maybe 50 hours and 50 weeks their sophomore year of college to kind of figure out what they want to do. And we're trying to get them to listen to their gut. Sounds like when you were 13, you had this really good feel that. This is the most fun ever. It might be right for me. Then you go to Cal Poly Pomona, uh, which is a difficult school to get into, really difficult to get into. So you must have had really good grades at Newport Harbor. You must have been somewhat focused. You were playing the sports. You're putting your foot down on the bike, doing all that stuff. When you got to Pomona, is that when you start asking questions to figure out, is this right for me and moving it from might be to definitely? Actually, I was poor and working three jobs and my mom had gotten divorced and she was working nights and uh, I actually went to Orange Coast College and I went for three years to Orange Coast College. So I went to a junior college here and uh, and I took every math and every physics course and everything I could. And I found out by the time I transferred to Cal Poly Pomona that if I took one more math class, I would be a math minor. I didn't want to take that math class, by the way. So, uh, so I did not become a math minor. But uh, as soon as I got there, I discovered this club that was building uh, solar-powered race cars. And you know, my goal in life was to become a car designer. And there's these, you know, carbon fiber solar-powered cars. And I had seen something about it in my physics class in high school. And so I go down there, you know, all sheepish, looking in the lab, looking around. And they're like, "Hey, what major are you?" And I'm like. Uh, I'm a mechanical engineer. And so uh, they're like, oh, well, we have an opening on the solar group. And I'm like, what's the solar group? And this is the CapSet team, the famous team led by Doc and Tina Shelton. And uh, anyway, uh, I joined the solar group and started building solar arrays and then designing solar arrays and then designed some more. And we we worked on and built a bunch of different cars over the three years I was there. And it was like, I got a mechanical engineering degree, but what we did was we built these, you know, we built these race vehicles and, you know, you're thinking about how to make the most out of 
just the power of the sun, right? It's actually a really tough problem to think about how to make a car go fast for a long time with, you know, minimal frontal area, but maximum power and, you know, from the sun. And, uh, you know, we did great. We set a world record in uh, Australia with uh, a two-person vehicle. And uh, I got to take part. I didn't go to Australia on the team, but, uh, but I did go to Sunrace in uh, 95, the year I graduated. And that was a crazy story too. But anyway, it was, uh, that was the huge learning experience. I could have just stayed and built solar cars. And they actually asked me to come back and I taught a senior level design class on fabrication of photovoltaic arrays for race vehicles. So you make some interesting points that I want to call them out for the person in their car right now, listening at 1.5 speed or sitting in the library, not studying because they want to listen to a podcast or whatever you're doing right now, listening, because it's a little bit different. You're basically following your passions wherever they lead you and letting things happen. So is it fluid dynamics? Is it airplanes? Is it solar race cars? Eventually you get into environmentally friendly, customized solution for AC, which nobody would give a shit about if we weren't in the biggest heat wave in history all summer long. And so any one of these things probably could have been your career. Any one of these things could have been the thing that made you happy and gave you the challenges and drove you to love your job. You just follow these different paths and continue chasing, is this the most fun ever? It might be right for me. And you just have lots of options. Is that right? Yeah. It turns out that, I mean, everybody has a lot of options. Uh, you know, there's if you sit and chart out the things that really make you happy, you're going to find out that there's, you know, there's 10 different directions you can go. And yeah, I could have, you know, uh, done photovoltaic or I could have done race vehicles or I could have, could have been a college professor, but I always wanted to, you know, be in cars. So here we are at the finish line of the 1995 sun race. And we could have interviewed with any of these car companies. And I, you know, they had the interview stuff lined up. And I mean, we had, we had kicked ass. I mean, and the qualifier, we beat MIT, which was really cool. We didn't beat them in the whole race, but my God, we were, uh, we were kind of an underdog team. If you, if you really thought about it that way, given the fact that we showed up with a car that had been crashed two weeks before. But anyway, I decided I didn't want to live in Michigan. I wanted to go home and live in California. So, um, you know, my life is in Southern California. So, it, you know, it comes back to the thought process of where do you want to live? Where do you want to raise a family? What do you want to do? And, you know, what's going to align with that life? Okay, so we're going to, we're going to make a little process here. Is it the most fun ever? That's the first step. Second step, chart out what makes you happy. Third step, follow your passion and let it happen. If you're in engineering, you could go a bunch of different ways. But if you're not in engineering, if you're in sales, you could go a bunch of different ways. You could be selling technology. You could be selling medical because you love medicine. If you're in biology, you could go a bunch of different ways. And then the third one is, where do you want to locate? Where's your support group? Where do you want to live? Some people want to move around a lot. So which opportunity has moving around a lot? Some people want to travel. Which opportunity has that? Some people want to live in Southern California and pay a ton of money in taxes. So they go there. Some people want to live in Kansas, have greatest corn dogs ever. Shout out to Varsity Donuts in Manhattan, Kansas, greatest corn dogs ever. So 
if you follow that little process, then I think you've got to be a little bit optimistic too. And if you're not optimistic now, if you're in a little bit of a funk, take a break, take a few deep breaths and try it at different times. Because that, I mean, it sounds like that's your process. It sounds like you're moving around, chasing what's fun. And I also want to flag real quick, and I didn't know you did this card thing. I'm sure you told me this before, but I remember that car from Pomona because I graduated from college in 94. And I remember back when we had like three TV channels I, and I'm into cars. I remember the solar powered cars because those didn't exist. I remember the world record for solar power because that didn't exist. I remember they were these long kind of pointy bullet shaped cars. I remember they were making them down at Cal Poly Pomona because it may not be MIT, but it's way up there in the rankings for engineering. I remember seeing it on TV. I remember the Australia race. I remember all of that stuff. So you're kind of at the cutting edge of this crazy thing that's happening. At the same time, crazy stuff was happening with wing designs, and they changed the wings from straight to curvy at the end, so the planes wouldn't wobble so much. At the same time, solar power is taking off and other areas. So you're going to, you know, kind of a a world-renowned engineering school, which is probably helps you find all these options. And you're just looking around asking yourself the question, is this the most one ever? This might be right for me. And you end up with a lot of these different options. But for some reason, you get into what I would consider to be the absolute most boring industry in the world until I went up to the middle of nowhere, Canada, with 24 of these freaks and realized that HVAC may sound boring, but everybody that's in it is there for a passion play. A lot of them want to save the environment, and they're looking for efficient ways to save the environment. A lot of them want to make people happy, and they're looking for this customization. All of them are little nerdy engineering people that are great in the outdoors. They can ski as well as a Red Bull skier and mountain bike as well as a a Red Bull mountain biker. I'm always amazed that you know, I go on this trip with you, Brett, and everybody is like, they're extreme athletes, they're super cool, and then they're nerdy HVAC. So, <laughs> well, how did HVAC, and by the way, if you're listening right now, what's HVAC? Heating, ventilation, and AC, is that what it stands for? Yeah, heating, ventilation, air conditioning, yeah. Okay, heating, ventilation, AC. So they design... Um, the air conditioning and heating and filtration systems for all different buildings. So maybe it's hospitals, maybe it's stadiums, maybe it's your office. Um, and you know, now with COVID, the filtration system is important. Now with the changing world and uh, the reality setting in that the world is getting warmer, and we can see that on our ski trips as the glaciers disappear, you know, HVAC is more important. Now we don't have water in California or on the Colorado River. So this is becoming, like right now, it's becoming super interesting. If you're listening right now, this isn't going away. Brett makes a lot of money. Everyone in his, in his company makes a lot of money because they can sell, they can talk, they can work with clients. They want to make people happy, but they have this passion that they're having the most fun ever designing air conditioning systems. I don't get that. Why is everybody adventurous and cool and fun in the HVAC industry? Or did you just find the 24 that are cool and everybody else is weird and dark? Actually, I don't think we did find the 24 that are the coolest, but we probably have some of the coolest people in the world working for us. 
I mean, they are, everybody's a little bit different and, you know, you need that for different clients, right? I mean, every, you know, engineers that we call on that, that make the plans, the mechanical plans, they have, they have a very, very specific way of, of dealing with people and they, they want to be communicated with in a certain way. And the contractors and general contractors want to be communicated with a certain way. They all act very different. So, I mean, there's a human element. You have to be good at engineering, but you have to be really good at, you know, listening to people. And some of that is nonverbal or a lot of it's nonverbal. And then the other one is, you know, we're solving Rubik's cubes. You know, it's like you're playing with puzzles every day. And so, you know, I view the work as play. And so, you know, somebody comes and brings a problem and they're like, you know, we, we solved it this way, but, you know, can you just check it? And I just look at it and I get a smile on my face because I'm like, oh yeah, well, there's eight different ways to do this, but yeah, well, that's a good one. But have you thought of this one? And, and then they're like, oh, wow, that's cheaper and better. Wait, 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 we could win that job. And then they walk away and they go and they come back and they're like, hey, we won the job. Are you enjoying the show thus far? We go through so many resources and links with this podcast, it's tough to keep up. I get it. That's why Matt and the rest of the team put together the Edge of Excellence Bundle. In it, you'll find different tools that relate to overarching themes and topics of the show. Things like disk assessment tools, time management strategies and tactics, stress and anxiety management tools, exclusive videos and episodes from this podcast that is not released anywhere else, and so much more. The best part? As a valued listener of this show, you can access the Edge of Excellence bundle 100% for free of charge. That's right, for simply being awesome and tuning in. To get access, all you have to do is go to www.collegeworks.com podcast and fill out the short form there for us to get the bundle over to you. Once again, it's www.collegeworks.com podcast. Now, back to the show. Wade Domer, shout out to Wade Domer out in Vancouver, Canada. Super cool guy. Yeah. Could do anything he wants to do. Why did he go into HVAC? Brett Naviglio, world-class uh, snowboarder, world-class mountain biker, except you put your foot down quite a bit. I do. Why would, I why do. would, you, why would you go from designing solar-powered, world-record-holding um, race cars and gliders with new aerodynamic wings into HVAC. And, and I could keep going with Max and all these different people that I've met that are either selling HVAC or they're engineers designing HVAC or they're manufacturers manufacturing HVAC. If you're in mechanical engineering, why do you want to go look at HVAC over all the other different options? It's the biggest energy and water consumer in the market. It's bigger than transportation. It's like 40% of the power consumed. If you want to solve climate change, you fix buildings. It's easy. And so you know that if you go to work and you do a good job, you have fun, you're driven by disgust for waste. You know, like every wasted bit of power is just is just disgusting, right? You know you could do it better. You know you could sequence it better. You know you could build something better. So these people that are going into mechanical engineering, probably when they're young, 
They're having the most fun ever designing things. They're getting all dorky, excited, like you did in this podcast, by the way, about fluid dynamics and all this stuff that everybody else thinks is lame. Then they go into college and they're looking at what they're having the most fun ever. And then you get this subgroup that maybe they're into the environment. Maybe they're outdoors people. And that's what we're off skiing with. They're hiking, they're kayaking, they're kite surfing, they're mountain biking. And they notice the glaciers are melting. They notice the shrubs are getting drier. They notice that there's fires and weird things are happening. And then they have this realization that the biggest energy used is by buildings. You also said water consumed if we can solve that problem. So you're doing a kind of a, a legacy passion play while you're having fun with these puzzles and these problems. So if you're listening right now, and this all sounds good, you like the puzzles, you like the problems, you're a little worried about the environment, you think you're a pretty good skier or snowboarder, but you may want to meet Wade Gomer and get on our trip. HVAC might be for you. We've had Sean Nottingale on this. We've had uh, Charlie Fletcher on this. We'll probably get Wade Gomer on this show because he's in the manufacturing part. Go check out Vertisys. .net, V-E-R-T-I-S-Y-S.net. Go check out Brett Gaviglio because everybody I know in this industry, and for some reason I know a lot of them because they're all really good. I think everybody in HVAC is a really good skier or snowboarder. They all love what they do. They hang out all the time with their HVAC friends. It's like the craziest thing. People that own sports companies don't hang out all the time. <laughs> People that are astronauts don't hang out all the time. People that are fighter pilots don't hang out all the time. Business people hang out all the time. But Brett is both. He's a founder of a company, a partner in a company, and an engineer. So if you've got that engineering degree and you love this puzzle stuff, you might check out this path. And let's just get into the, what, what's Wade Gilmer's company's name so they can check that out too? It's Hawken. H-A-A-K-O-N. So let's talk about what you do on a daily basis. How much of it's number crunching, using that math brain, designing stuff? How much of it is sourcing leads, developing leads, working with people, talking to people. How much of it is everybody's favorite? I love this too. Going to games, I mean, sitting in the best seats, partying. Uh, I guess we call that relationship building. How does your day break down in this industry that everybody that works in loves so much? Well, it really depends on you know where you are in your career. Right now, I'm reviewing a lot of people's stuff, right? So I get I get to look at all the jobs that come in and all and all of the designs and sort of and try to see, you know, is this right? You know, did we do it right? Okay. So at the upper level management, at the senior level, you've done all the entry level stuff and you're moving into QC because if you screw this up, stuff's falling through the roof, things are catching on fire. So you're a lot of your job is now QC of the entry level people's work. Yeah. Well, yeah, even an entry level person could be a five, six year person. They're really, we have all these great engineers that work for us, but you know, I've got 30 years of experience in this business. So, you know, you can lean on that, right? I, every problem that they've got, you've probably seen it go bad some way and you knew the solution. So, you know, you can dig back into 15 years ago and be like, ah, you need to do that. And so, you know, I've become an old, an old guy now in that, but yeah, the, the 20 somethings that are out there, uh, you know, initially calling on clients and 30 somethings, those people are doing more games, more light relationship development. I do that too. But, you know, I would say a larger percent of my stuff is 
is uh, is you know sort of a visionary. Where are we going next? Uh, how are we going to integrate all these systems into something that's better for the buildings? And then uh, you know, and why are customers going to buy this? Right? How is it going to save water? How is it going to save energy? And at the end, how are we going to make it economic for them? Are there incentives, tax incentives? Are there you know rebates from utilities? Uh, what you know, or is it just going to save so damn much electricity that they're just going to buy it? Right? You know, would you buy something that had a twenty five percent return on investment and increase the value of your building? Yeah. And cut the water usage and cut the power usage by like 25%. Yeah, you probably would, but that's what we get to do. And it's like, and everyone's different. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's a large percentage of times. I mean, we have tickets to all the games, the Kings, the Lakers, the Clippers, uh, the Chargers. Um, I mean, the Angels, well, we go to games all the time. Yeah. So, I mean, we're taking people to games. So at your, at your level, you're in your 20s, you're spending... Half of your time marketing and sales calls. Yes. And then the relationship building. And I love this. If you're listening right now, they're driving a chauffeur driven cars, they're sitting courtside, they're going backcountry skiing in helicopters. It's unbelievable. I hope the tax man's not listening because I question these write offs. But you're spending an entry level, half your time marketing, half your time sales calls and relationship building. And the other half of the time is hardcore engineering design. Yep. Problem solving. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you move up, you replace the marketing sales calls and relationship building with kind of the quality control experience sharing and the, the focus on the unique sales offering. There has to be a split. I mean, you never get rid of any one area. And the other part is you're always growing, right? I mean, I'm going to keep learning every day. And I, you know, I encourage our people to learn every day. I encourage you to learn every day. You know, whoever is listening to this podcast, the important part is that you can, you know, you're always going to be able to learn something new. Uh, we have definitely not advanced technology. We're living in the old days, right? So I, I always look at it like, you know, what's the next thing? How can we do this differently? So why does an engineer need sales skills? Most engineers don't have sales skills. And a lot of engineers, don't, and when I say sales skills, I mean, they done sales. They've got experience in sales. A lot of engineers don't have great people skills. Why does someone need people skills and proven sales skills to go into your industry? Everything in life is a negotiation or a sale, right? I mean, it, it, you know, the Chris Voss book is a great book. Talk, talks about it. Never split the difference. We made sure everybody in the company read that book. But it, it's important because you can't get anything done. Even if you have the best solution, um, if you don't ask the right questions, you're not going to get there. You're going to do it wrong. And, you know, you have to interface with people. You have to get along with people in order to, you know, make anything happen in engineering. Uh, and there's every different level of person, right? There's CFOs, there's people running buildings, there's, you know, uh, property managers, whatnot. And, you know, I'm, I'm really talking about the building space a lot, but in every different aspect of business, there's, uh, you know, even even just getting along with a banker is a good idea, right? So the, the point is you need to have people skills and you need to be able to have sales skills to be able to uh, ascertain what's necessary and, and, and have a rapport with people. So someone that's an engineer that for some reason 
went into used car sales or someone that's an engineer that was in construction sales or someone that was an engineer that worked in real estate sales. Why would they be a better candidate or is it Hawken or Hoken, whatever Wade's company is, I should probably say it right because I want a better room at the lodge next year or Vertices or M4. Why are they a better candidate than one that hasn't that had those experiences? Well, I mean, you're you're just more well-rounded. If you're a well-rounded person, you know, the technical skills can be learned. The people skills are actually harder to learn. I mean, people skills are just are just very important. You know, people that are a bright light, that are vibrant, that come in the room and and automatically they're everybody's favorite person, like Wade Gomer, right? I mean, Wade just comes in the room and it's just like And you'd rather hire that because it's gonna take you years to teach it. Maybe it never happens. If they've done that for a couple of years while they're young, you'd rather hire that uh, than an MIT engineer that has really low people skills. Yes. Yeah. Because it, it's important. It depends on if they're going to be customer facing or not. But the thing is, in a business like ours, everybody's customer facing all the time. You're interfacing with the customer all the time. You want to work with the customers. You want to make people happy, which is part of how we started here. You wanted to make people happy. You wanted to work with the customers. You wanted to have the most fun ever, which in your world is also interacting with people. You've got to develop the people skills or you're not going to get the people stuff. Correct. Correct. And the other thing is, you know, it's, uh, you know, you can't tell whether you're working or playing because a lot of times, you know, you do business with the same people for 10, 15, 20 years. So you've got these great relationships of, you know, yeah, you go biking together, you play golf together, you go to games, whatever, you solve problems, you do these things, you have these successes in business, but you also have all these other things that you do together. It really blurs the line on life, right? Because you're, you know, it's very integrated. It's very meshed. Because you love your job. So it's all the same to you. And I see you all working out problems and talking out deals and quoting weird numbers and unit numbers and all this stuff to each other while we're sitting in a cab or waiting to go mountain bike riding. You guys are blurring the line between work and play because it's all the same. Yes. It's all the same. That's a pretty good life. If you're listening right now, you've got that engineering degree and you're thinking about changing the business, stop, finish the engineering degree because Brett gets to be a business founder and a business partner in an engineering firm. Brett gets to do QC and manage and support and train and coach engineers. I don't get to do that. I get to do that with business people, but he, he could do it in my company or he could do it in his company. I can only do it in mine or ours because I have partners. And I really wanted to get you on here um, because you and I talk about this a lot. And, and you've come to me and said, hey, I want you to send me people that have been trained by you. And I couldn't quite figure it out. I think you've done a lot to help me figure it out. I got two questions before you go. First of all, are you surprised by where you're at now compared to where you thought you would be way back at Newport Harbor High School writing uh, letters to Ford? Yes. Yes. I am actually really surprised because I didn't know. Uh, I didn't know a lot of things. You know, you don't know yourself when you're in high school or even early college. And I, I had no idea that the rabbit hole could be this deep or that, you know, that we could do this. Not that, you know, my position is, you know, 
you know, some huge multinational or anything like that, because it's not, but we're doing great things and we've got just this wonderful team. And so, yeah, to be in the spot, I definitely, it's well beyond what my imagination was. You're not in a multinational, but you work. You're in a really big company working in engineering in a really big company called the train company. And you left because you wanted innovation, more customized solutions. And you went to a smaller company, which is interesting for the listener right now, trying to figure out, do I go work for this big multinational or do I work for a smaller company? What did you like about the the smaller and nimble company that you founded over the big multinational? Well, the thing is, is we can change on a dime. And the fact that Every, you know, we always thought that the, the, the cheese was here, right? That, that it was this one thing. If we solved this one problem, that it would make all everything better. And we did that. And then uh, it turned out that was affected by two other pieces of cheese. Um, and we kept adding and adding system pieces until now. Honestly, I don't know that I would want, if I was on the outside, if I would want to buy a system that wasn't that didn't include about half of the components we have. We have definitely amassed a really good way of making buildings efficient. And, and because because you were small and nimble, you could do that more effectively than one of the big companies. Yeah, we we could just go and and grab another one and say, you know, here's this thing that takes air out of the system. Uh, you, you know, turns out air in systems is terrible. Right. It, you know, everybody makes the assumption that water pumped in a circle is just water. Turns out it's not. You know, there's there are a lot of um, without getting technical or, you know, naming a bunch of names. There are a lot of components involved in building these systems. It's not like a home air conditioner. It's closer to like a nuclear power plant. Lots of subsystems, multiple loops. And so when you get into that. Everything matters. And that's what we found out. And so we just kept going. And now it's so fun. I mean, we just have so much fun. All right. My final question, what sacrifice did you make when you were young uh, you know, that helped you with your career, but the time seemed like a horrible idea because you were going to go do something less focused that you never regret? You look back and you say, man, I'm glad I did that. Well, I mean, I think... I think working really hard and working in a bunch of different jobs and and I mean like working at a warehouse and moving pallets around and sweeping cigarette butts off the off the parking lot and you know working at a pharmacy as a cashier folding towels and selling comforters to people at Stroud's you know like real um like what I would call you know hard menial work really gave me some focus to see what, you know, why doing this job is so rewarding, right? You know, education is the most underrated thing that you can do. Uh, You know, going and getting a degree and expanding your mind and getting involved with great people wherever they are. You know, they're, I mean, Doc and Tina Shelton, I mean, geez, these people, they changed my life. Just building solar cars with these people. I, I mean, it was lucky. I, I was lucky to be there then, you know. Um, you know, so the, the sacrifices I would say are more taking risks and putting in effort and just putting your head down and doing it. And I agree. I mean, I, I look back at all my my jobs. I learned to love working 
I see my daughter. She works at a pizza place now. She worked in my office this last summer. She worked in a flower uh, arranging place before that. She's working all the time. She comes back excited. She's learning to love work and she's learning to love the, the money she gets from working. And you keep that for the rest of your life. Plus, if you don't know how to work, you can't go work for Brett. You can't come work for me because we're not going to teach you. We want you to have the entry level job so you can figure it out. And Brett, I will see you uh, in a few days because you're going to go out and race your brand new Porsche Turbo out in Fontana for the weekend. Yeah. Thank you very much for coming on the Edge of Excellence. We really appreciate having you. If you're not first, you're last. I hope you enjoyed that episode today on the Edge of Excellence podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to this. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this exact episode with them. This show exists to showcase what is possible when young leaders are willing to step out of their comfort zone and choose to excel in their lives. To learn more about our internship for young and ambitious students, www.oneinternship.com slash podcast to see if it's something that makes sense for you. Once again, it is www.oneinternship.com slash podcast. Let this be a reminder for you to live on the edge of excellence in your business and life. See you next time.